Welcome to Family of Conviction. This is a prepaid collect call from an inmate at... I'm your anonymous host. On March 15, 2015, my friend Vincent Dewey was convicted of child molestation, a crime he did not commit. They confided in each other that they were both allegedly abused by me. I know these individuals were coached. They were first cousins of mine. I'm a friend of Vincent Dewey's, and I'm hosting this podcast anonymously due to the vindictive nature of the bad actors involved. I know that they have hatred for my family because there was envy within my family dynamic. My guide on this journey is Vinny from inside prison in the prison law library where he works tirelessly to prove his innocence every day as a paralegal. Even our attorney said, if it was just one, he goes, we'd win this in a heartbeat. He goes, but now there's two. A quick warning, this episode contains explicit language and discusses sexual abuse. It may not be suitable for all audiences. In this episode, we'll be taking a look at our two accusers of Vincent Dewey. As always, their names and the other non-voluntary family members will be redacted for the sake of legal protection. They're both products of their mothers. The accusers are first cousins of Vinny. Both of their mothers married into the family and have a history of conflict with the family. One is still married in, and the other is divorced. If you haven't listened to our previous episodes, I encourage you to do that now. In episode two, we detailed the mother of accuser one and her direct involvement in this case. And in episode one, we play the audio of the documentary film project that inspired this podcast, also detailing her involvement. So they were my mother's brother's kids and then their wives, you know, who were involved in this. I realized that it was some kind of outside influence and I just knew from the beginning that it, it, was, it was garbage. These accusers can be characterized by substance abuse, criminal records, and violent behavior. They had a name for themselves, those boys. Everybody knew of them because of their personalities. They were bullies. They beat up people for no reason. The high school dropouts, they, they don't contribute anything to society. The accusers claim their substance abuse problems stem from the alleged abuse they received from Vinny. On one of their sides, brother is a drug dealer and addict, and they have messed up family members. But that person's problems are from this alleged abuse from me. This wasn't raised at trial, but multiple members of the accuser's family suffer from substance abuse. The other one who's involved, his brother's a drug dealer. His mother's a direct product of incest. There's an incestual relationship within the family. And all the cousins and uncles have severe drug problems or alcohol problems. Here's Vinny's grandfather, Carmine. All right, so you guys have got some family history. You got four children, three of them are drug addicts. One of the accusers also has a history of participation in gangs. Uh, he was stabbed in the head uh, by someone from Levittown. Uh, he was always uh, dealing drugs, always went around with a group of guys uh, trying to uh, beat people up. Vinny lived across the street from the father of Accuser 1. So leading up to the trial, he had to move across town. And there was order of protection, so Vinny could not come to this house, which made it a thousand times harder. Even after Vinny was arrested, the two accusers vandalized his car. Vinny was living in an apartment in North Babylon. They went there one night and uh, egged his car, came across the street one night and, and keyed his brand new Jeep that he bought. And the other car that we gave him, the Toyota, we had pictures, uh, keyed the whole side of the car and the whole roof of the car. That was a car we gave to him until he bought his own Jeep because he was making good money. And the mother of accuser one also was continuing harassment even after Vinny's conviction. There's another family court allegation that my father is harassing my uncle who still lives across the street from him. And the main reason why they're alleging he's harassing him is because they're angry that I was convicted. My father doesn't harass them, 
but guess what? This family court report was written by her. Vinny's referring to previous accusations the mother of accuser one made against his father. In the same language from the report that she used back in 2000 and whatever, where she never came to prosecute the case against my father. I acknowledge we're referring to a lot of police filings and court proceedings related to this family. It can be overwhelming from the outside. But just to clarify, they all stem from this one woman, the mother of accuser one. She has a history of abusing the court system to seek revenge and get her way. If you really wanted justice, and you really wanted somebody to pay for what they allegedly did, why are you still bothering them? Leave them alone. But what that tells me is that the own guilt in your subconscious and whatever human decency they may have left is bothering them because they know that what they did was wrong. Now there is a second mother involved in the influence of these young men, the mother of accuser too. As a documentarian, to me it remains unclear whether she's a pawn in this or a deliberate bad actor. Here's a bit of context from Vinny's mom, Cindy. You gotta know the family dynamic. My sister-in-law defended no matter what her sons did. There was no consequences. There was no accountability. It didn't matter if they got caught stealing something. The cop yelled at them, so she would tell off the cop. Uh, one of my nephews brought a cell phone into school, and, you know, those days they took them away. She proceeded to go up to the high school, banging on the principal's door, and threatened the principal. According to family members, this woman was apparently one of 13 or 14 children and grew up in a home that sounded like it struggled to parent. The kids were on their own. Perhaps this is related to her struggles as an adult and a mother and her fierce loyalty to her son, despite criminal or disruptive behavior. There was no accountability. No matter what they did, they were good boys. And her apparent conflicts with Vinny's grandparents. My brother was a hero cop from September 11th, but he would not stand up to her. Again, here's Vinny's grandfather. They're not men because of their wives. And their wives never liked me or my wife from day one. They felt we would control them. I don't have control. I just give them advice. If you want advice, I give you advice. Now, the woman didn't like me. She didn't like my wife. Treated us like crap when we were over the house. Like I said, jealousy was a big thing. I know my brother had a problem with me living here only because he was afraid I would get the house. But there was always family envy because my family lived with my grandparents and they felt that they had it easy because everybody else was struggling. So all of this combined with this family dynamic just made a, you know, a, a mess to fight. When these allegations came to light, Vinny was doing well financially in his career. Vinny's father noted that one of the accusers would often ask about Vinny inquiring about how much money he was making. Uh, there was a lot of jealousy there. They, they, were told, they told my uh, Vinny's grandfather that they were tired of hearing how good Vinny's doing. He would always ask me how Vinny was doing. I said, Vinny's doing good. He's making good money. And I think, I think by saying that, they, they were trying to get money out of him because he was doing that well. One theory is the boys were convinced that by accusing Vinny in criminal court, they could follow up with a civil lawsuit and sue him for money which might have been the initial goal. The main thing that I think they stood to gain from this was the fact that they looked like the hero when throughout the entire time to the family that they were the zero. As an outside observer, this does seem true. Vinny was a standout in the family with a college education, a successful career as a salesman, and a talented performer, starring in professional productions. I think this might have been triggering for the accusers who struggled with drug abuse. I had the accolade as a professional actor, doing well, making money, doing well on my job. They didn't like that. 
So with all that background, we now take you up to 2014, when there was allegedly a car ride the two accusers took together. This event is short on details in all testimony. Again, they had testified at Ben Toronto that they confided in each other that they were both allegedly abused by me. And their confiding in each other happened on this date of April 7th or 8th, which they couldn't remember what it was. Accuser 1 initially claimed the car ride was on April 7th or 8th. Initially, Accuser 2 claimed the car ride took place in February of 2014. The inconsistency by claiming the car ride took place on April 7th or 8th is that there is a letter from the mother of Accuser 1 dated April 1st of that year detailing the abuse for both parties a week prior. Vinny's mom, Cindy, recounts the night they all heard the allegations. My nephew said, I'll never say what he did to me. And then he said, I'm not, never going to go to the district attorney because cops suck. I don't trust them. But they had already been to the district attorney. And there's more inconsistencies in the accusations. For example, the timing of when they happened. If the accusers only found out about each other's abuse in 2014, the frequency each accuser alleges doesn't add up. Each of them claims to have been in the home and abused by Vinny simultaneously, and yet somehow they never knew of each other's abuse? The math doesn't add up. Claimed it was every weekend that he slept over, and claimed that it was every other weekend when his father had visitation, and he would be left here by his father with my mother, who then in turn left home alone with Vinny. Additionally, the home they claim the abuse happened in is a modest home on Long Island, populated with four other adults and Vinny's younger brother. And then when they started to add in the details of, you know, timing and things like that, I was like, what? That, how does that, that doesn't make sense. I was here for this. It happened in the room. It happened when I was there. He would ask me to leave. No, we, I was, I, we, would, we shared the room. That was the thing. We had so many fights about that. I've been in this home myself. It would be very difficult to hide this alleged abuse in a home this size. On the first floor, there is a small living room attached to a master bedroom where Vinny's grandparents slept. Not to mention the boys were never left home alone together. And to get back to my wife, she was an angel. Would never, never leave five-year-old kid in a house alone. Like I say, if she was out, went to the store, I was here. As an outside observer, I do not see where any of this abuse could have taken place. And for the long period of time in which they allege it had happened. It seems almost completely implausible that no single adult would have discovered them in all that time. Vinny's grandmother was doting and watched these children, cared for them when their mothers neglected them. She even testified in court in Vinny's defense and was aggressively interrogated by the prosecution, who attempted to make her out to be a liar, perhaps because it seemed so implausible that the abuse could have gone on under her roof, unknown by her. She passed away a few years ago while Vinny was in prison. On her deathbed, she pleaded with the fathers of both accusers to force their sons to tell the truth and bring Vinny home. They declined. And said, I picked my family over you. That's the worst thing you can ever do, is go against your mother of all people. And like I say, when she wasn't home, I was home. And they weren't here. And they didn't come over as much as they said. That was a lot of baloney. To permit something like this in the house, you see my house the way it is clean? I keep it clean. She kept it cleaner. There would be stains. These are the couches. That's the way they were. And now there's not a stain on there. And if I was a parent and my kid came home and had sex or whatever, 
he would have some after effects. There would be some mockings. There would be something. The worst thing that ever happened to my grandson is to be accused of something like this, which is a heinous crime. By the time they testified in trial, the accusers claimed the abuse happened every weekend or every other weekend, hundreds of times, from 1995 to 2004. And all the evidence in this case is solely based on that testimony. According to Vinnie and the family, there was very little investigation by the police into the credibility of these accusations. The young men were just taken at their word. The police department didn't investigate anything. There's, we have papers from the district attorney who we filed with the courts again stating that called and said he doesn't want family members interviewed. Why not? The only credibility they had was that they shared in their story, in their accusations of Vinny. And their stories, these accusations changed from the time Vinny was charged until the time he was in trial. It went from Vinny did something a little twice to when we went to court, it was every weekend was every other weekend was Every time I talked to my brother, the story changed. First, it was two times. Then it was until he was seven years old. Then it was until he was 10 years old. Then it was until he was 12 years old. That's when I decided we really need to contact an attorney because they're changing their story as they go along. The dates kept changing, perhaps to ensure that Vinny was tried as an adult outside of any statute of limitations. Because what I'm convicted under, this course of sexual conduct against a, a child under the age of 11, has no statute of limitations. And statute of limitations, I don't know if you're familiar with, but that means that there's certain time periods where you can be prosecuted for the alleged commission of the crime. That crime and murder within New York State doesn't have a statute of limitations on it. It put Vinny into adulthood in the eyes of the court, so he could be prosecuted as an adult, and he was. You could be 70 years old, and somebody could be 60 years old and said, back when you were 15, you sexually assaulted me, and you could be arrested and prosecuted. So it's clear these two individuals and their mothers disliked Vinny and his family and had motivation to seek revenge. I don't know if she drummed it into her son's head that something happened. You know how they say they do that and if you hear it long enough. But meanwhile, my nephew would sh come here, shake hands. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't know how. They just got together and when you're brain dead and you're told that you're bad because of this, you start to believe it. And I think that's what happened, honestly. They were told, Vinny's bad, you're good. Meanwhile, they were bad all their lives. So there's two ways to look at this if you believe Vinny, which I do. The accusers either knew they were lying and falsely accused Vinny in an attempt to get money or revenge, teaming up to increase the likelihood that the police or the district attorney would believe them, or they were convinced this abuse actually happened to them influenced by the mother of accuser one. In pattern with her history, she knew the court systems and knew that two accusers would ensure Vinny's arrest. Then perhaps if accuser two went to his mother, who we've established would likely believe him against all doubt, and suddenly you have four people adamantly accusing Vinny of a crime he did not commit. How were these boys convinced? They were adults at the time but in my opinion, had difficult childhoods and drug abuse that might have given them some form of arrested development or caused them to struggle for a sense of identity. They were seeking a scapegoat of some kind to escape their own shame. It's been documented in other events and cases that children and certain kinds of adults can be convinced certain abuses happened to them when they didn't, so much that they invent memories. 
For example, the satanic panic accusations that happened in the 1980s. Children were convinced to accuse their parents of such heinous crimes that they went to prison for 20-30 years. And the court system accepted these children's testimonies as fact. Here's a clip from Gimlet's Conviction podcast about this topic. On this season of Conviction... For a long time, the proudest thing I ever did was send my dad in jail, you know? We're telling a story about a time when children all across the country were accusing their parents, their neighbors, their teachers of horrific crimes. Two of the children say their father abused them and forced them into satanic cult. Satanic ritual abuse has become the fastest growing and most controversial psychological But years later, those children began to wonder, what really happened to them? The, the lies begin, I don't know if it's all mixed up in my head right now. From Gimlet, Conviction American Panic. Check our show notes for links to Gimlet's Conviction podcast to find out more. To close, I'll leave you with a conversation I had with the twin brother of Accuser One's father. You've heard from Chris previously on this podcast. He spoke of a conversation he had with the father of Accuser One, where he confessed that he was concerned his wife, the mother of Accuser One, had, quote, put those boys up to it. In your opinion, knowing those boys in the way, in the capacity that you did, or those young men at this time, would their mothers be capable of forcing them to do such a bold act as to make yeah, false yeah. accusations? If you, if you keep telling them long enough, they're going to believe it, you know what I mean? You think they told them this was a truth over a long period of time to convince the boys that it was? Yeah, that, that it did happen. That's what they say. And there's no medical proof, no police report, no nothing. Uh, I don't like those two In our next episode, we'll review the details around the district attorney who was responsible for bringing the charges against Vinny. Innocent men have been exonerated that she put behind bars based on false testimony, and we'll go more into detail on that next time. On behalf of Vinny and myself, thank you for listening to this episode of Family of Conviction. To offer aid or advice to the family or watch the documentary short film, please see our show notes.